Sing Second Sports is a ProVision Advisors production. Let us solve your toughest communication problems and leave your team stronger and more capable for the challenges that lie ahead. Visit www.provisionadvisors.net to learn more. All right. Hey, hey, everyone. Welcome to the Sing Second Sports Podcast. I am John Schofield. Joining us is Bill Wagner. Our special guest today is Mike Heary to break down the night that was. As we record this on March 10th, we are one day removed from the Navy men's basketball team going down in defeat to Cornell up at Cotterill Court, where Bill Wagner and I were happy to be in attendance Let's break it down really quick before going to Mike Heary. Uh, the Navy men's basketball team, to cut it to the point, cut a 24-point second-half deficit down to six points, but could draw no closer and eventually lost 74-58. to um, This was the championship game of the Patriot League tournament, a much ballyhooed event in that it was our first final since 2001. And now with this loss, we officially have not been to the NCAA tournament in now 25 years, which Mike Heary will talk about since he was the last one. Greg Summers and John Carter Jr. were each named to the Patriot League All-Tournament team. Colgate started the game white hot, but we held firm until about the 11-minute mark of the first half before reserve guard Oliver Lynch Daniels, who basically goes down as being Duke qualified and that he's so annoying to watch, but he got hot and rattled off 10 points uh, Tucker Richardson hit a big three. Moffitt and Woodward started playing inside outside and Colgate went into halftime holding a 40 to 22 advantage. They were 14 of 21 from the field overall in the first half. That's 67 percent. They were 50 percent from three while we were only 32 percent from the floor and two for 11 from three. And we did not attempt a single foul shot. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is how you go down at the half 40 to 22. Navy had 10 offensive boards in the first half, but those only led to four second chance points. And the Raiders also led the mids 11 to zero in points after turnovers. Remember those numbers. Colgate began the second half with back-to-back triples to take a 46 to 22 lead. It would also be a 24 point cushion at 49 to 25. And then it was a 22 point game at 58 to 36 with 10.48 left on the clock, and that's when we reach an amazing five minutes. Coach Tachella sat Najoku and Daniel Deaver, whose struggles offensively and defensively really hurt Navy in this game, but we'll break that down more, and went with a lineup of Tyler Nelson, Jalen Walker, John Carter, Greg Summers, and Sean Yoder, who really played his heart out, and that strategy involved Walker handling Colgate big man Jeff Woodward, who was basically going full big country Bryant Reeves on us all night. But with the smaller lineup, we double when they fed the post, we disrupted shots, we got rebounds, forced turnovers, and an absolutely awesome 18-2 run ensued that found us down 60-54 to with 5-13 left. Greg Summers was then fouled and went to the line with a one-and-one and a chance to make the game 60-56, to and then, Mike Heary, take it away. What happened from there, and how did we lose? 
Well, John, obviously Greg Summers getting to the free throw line and missing the front end of that one and one in the second half was, was tough. But when you are expending a lot of energy trying to make a comeback, you know, it can be tough on a team. Um, I've been in games where I've been down like that and you make a big run and you use a lot of energy to try to bring it back. And it was an unfortunate miss on the front end of the one and one. And basically at that point, Colgate got Scott back into handling the, the, the full court press a little bit better than they did during that 18 to two run and working the ball inside and out, like you said, and made shots. And again, the lack of consistency of offense from our side, you know, really ended up being one of the real keys to why we were able, why we lost the game. So Wags, I'll throw it over to you to kind of go back and forth with Mike here. I know that you observed a lot uh, from our vantage point right there on press row, which by the way, was awesome. Let me just tell everyone that you know, road trip in the books with Wags to go see Hamilton, New York. Not the most scenic of places, but an awesome time and an awesome place to see Navy compete on the big stage. But Wags, we fell short. And why? Well, John, first of all, it was great being up there with you. We had a lot of fun. That was, a, you know, quick in and out, flew into Syracuse, drove an hour to Hamilton and got to give Schofield credit. Uh, the drive back from Hamilton to Syracuse at uh, 1130 at night was not pleasant it was harrowing would be the word in the fog windy roads snow covered frozen uh Schofield gets a plus plus on the navigation I was fried and just sat in the passenger seat praying that we didn't get run down by a semi <laughs> but uh and John I have to say sat press row with a placard that said John Schofield Baltimore Sun Media Group and Capital Gazette newspapers you save that did you not, John? Oh, of course. I, I mean, I, I have been nothing but an imposter my entire life, and now I've got a placard to, to help reinforce that. Well, I'll say this. I mean, nothing happens in a vacuum, and, and obviously the comeback was impressive. you got to give Navy credit. Down 24 early in the second half, things had not gone Navy's way. You know, Colgate, let's start off with Colgate's really good. They are a very impressive team. They pretty much play seven guys, and they're all good. And so they brought up the bench, big Jeff Woodward, who you referenced, who's you know like 285 pounds. He's huge. And just quick little note, Navy recruited him hard and was, you know, Coach DeCellis thought at one point he had Jeff Woodward coming to Annapolis. And so that was a tough loss, and now he's got to go against him. But Woodward was a load. And then, you know, the guy that the football players were chanting his name whenever he made a three, OLD, OLD, Oliver Lynch Daniels. And he was annoying because he had to make, you know, special uh, celebratory signs and whenever he made a three. But, you know, those are your reserves. And those guys were absolutely difference makers in this victory for Colgate. And, you know, Nellie Cummings, player, Jack Ferguson, player, Tucker Richardson, player. They're all really good on both ends of the floor. They, they, they move the ball very well. That's why they get a lot of open shots, and they do not miss open shots. So the bottom line to me is that Navy fell behind by 24 points. That, you're not going to overcome that kind of deficit often. Now, I will give Navy credit, and what Coach DeCellis did was he went small. He, the traditional lineup just was not working against Colgate. So he pretty much did bench Richard Njoku and Daniel Deaver for the majority of the second half, went with Tyler Nelson and Jalen Walker, both playing in the front court, spread the floor 
forced Colgate to have to come out and guard Navy on the perimeter and then drove the ball, and it was successful. But it was also defensively, Navy was really got frantic. They were flying around and really getting Colgate into a, you know, desperate measures with trying to move the ball and, and handle the ball. So their defense was tremendous. But Mike is exactly right. They expended a ton of energy. And then, you know, the summer's missed free throw was absolutely, in my mind, changed the game. It gave Colgate an opportunity to breathe a little. And they answered with a nice run that put the game away. So I would ask you, uh, you know, Mike, when I'm looking at the box score, I see a lot of pretty much empty uh, performances. You know, obviously, we already mentioned Richard and Joku did not play much. 14 minutes, two for five. You know, he did contribute four rebounds, but he had three turnovers. Austin in starter, one for five from field goal range, one for four from three, three points, one assist. Uh, going down to the reserves, Daniel Deaver, 0 for four uh, from the field. Jalen Walker, 1 for 6. P.J. Roach, 0 for 2. Christian Silva, 0 for 2. From Patrick Dorsey, 0 for 2. So, I mean, really not a lot of contributions offensively from anyone. What's, what's your thoughts on that? I mean, when I look at this box score, I'm not even sure how Navy was within six late. Yeah, yeah, Bill, it's pretty incredible that they actually were in the game, um, even only down 18 at halftime. Because they shot the ball so poorly in the first half, but their offensive rebounding was absolutely incredible. I think I, t- I said to somebody, I was texting with multiple different text threads over the course of the game, and I said, you know, Navy might have only scored 10 points in the first half if it wasn't for um, offensive rebounding. And, you know, that's obviously a staple of what Navy's done all season. You know, in those box scores, I think one of the things that hasn't been talked about enough is experience. This was the first time since 2001 Navy's played in the championship game, and it's obviously the first time any of these players have played in a game of this magnitude. And while Navy plays on national television against Army twice a year and you know, other games, you know, Virginia, Veterans Classic, you know, stuff like that, it's different when you play for a chance and the only chance to get to the NCAA tournament. There's a different level of pressure. Um, there's a different level of being able to deal with the moment and, and, and in, and at Colgate in that environment, it's hot, it's crowded, it's loud. The football team feels like they're on the court with you when, when the security people don't push them back, it's a tough environment. And if you've never played in it, it can, it can overwhelm you. And I think some of that existed with some of the players who knows which ones, whatever. But when you look at players' faces and they have that blank stare, you know they're not in the moment and locked in that the experience might be getting the best of them. I think another key thing is over the entire season, Navy predominantly would outscore their opponent in bench scoring. And if Greg Summers really played starters minutes, right? So if you think about it, the Navy bench got outscored 23-3. to Jalen Walker had three points. You take Summers' 18 out of there. You know, okay, so maybe he would have replaced Austin Inge. So Inge came off the bench and got three points. That's 23 to six. Our depth and experience was a big part of, you know, what made us a successful team this year. And the bench points really got to us as well. So I think there's a lot of factors. Uh, Super proud, obviously, as we've all said, of of them coming back. And I wouldn't expect anything less from an Ed DeCellis coach team or any Navy basketball team. No, no way a team is not going to go down without a fight. It's just frustrating that they had the lengthy scoring droughts in the first half. Uh, 
And the other thing is gas in the tank, energy level. We, we play an overtime game against BU. You win that game. I mean, I got a lot of guys were making a ton, a ton of big time jump shots. And, and, I, and it's the key thing is jump shots. Jalen Walker in the BU game, John Carter Jr. in the BU game. I mean, they were taking tough, contest, contested, long shots. And Navy has never been able to all season do that two, two games in a row. So I was very concerned that, you know, we would revert to kind of this type of an offensive output under 60 points. And you just can't beat a Colgate team home away or neutral court when you don't get at least a 65. Well, and Mike makes a really good point with regard to the experience. And it's amazing. Colgate has played in the Patriot League tournament final five straight seasons. That's an incredible run of consistency. And now with three championships since uh, 2018. And I told this to John during our road trip several times. I, I, I don't think Matt Langle is going to be at Colgate next year. I mean, I, how he doesn't get offered a better job. It would, I mean, the guy has done a phenomenal job with Colgate. Um, Mike, before I pass it off to, to uh, back to John, I mean, Andy, what's your thoughts on this Colgate team? I mean, we we're kind of, you know, putting around that we think they could be a two seed. I mean, a 15 seed, not a 16, and that they could give a two seed a tough time. I mean, do you see the ingredients? And you would know because you've been there. You've gone to the NCAA tournament. And you know what kind of competition you face when you're a lower seed. But do you think this Colgate team is good enough to make some noise in the NCAA tournament? A absolutely wags, but it, it comes with the right matchup. So, you know, the, the, the championship week, as it used to be called, and, and, and I don't know that ESPN still brands it as such, but um, all these conference tournament games that are one and done leagues, you know, people fall in love with, look at this senior laden team at Colgate or wherever, you know, but you forget that they're going to go play a 14 seed, a 15 seed, a 16 seed, or maybe a 13 seed, or I'm sorry, a, a one, two, three, or four seed. And there's a reason why those teams are at power five schools. It can happen with Colgate, but with the right matchup. And, and what I mean by that is, I mean, Colgate can score. So that's huge. In a, in a, in a NCAA tournament game, you're trying to get an upset. It's kind of like talking about it in the same way you talk about Navy. You gotta, you gotta kind of keep up scoring wise, hard to win games where you only get in the fifties or maybe even sixties. You gotta be able to score you got to be able to use the crowd to propel you to make the basket for the opposing team who's got all the pressure shrink a little bit, right? So you get that crowd all rooting for you in a David Goliath scenario, that helps. And Colgate has all those ingredients and pieces, but you know they have been this good in years past, and they haven't advanced past the first round. And it's, it's a lot, ha a lot of it has to do with matchups. You know, I think one year, was it last year they played Tennessee? I want to say, um, if it wasn't last year, it was the year before, um, BU beat them at Colgate. Um, and you know, that's a tough matchup, a Rick Barnes coach team with athletic wings that can keep up with, you know, Ferguson and, you know, Richardson and, and Cummings that have length, that makes it hard. All of a sudden, the windows to shoot those threes that they make shrink a little bit and the floor shrinks. So it's absolutely doable with the right matchup. I think they can. I'll, I would also echo that, you know, 
Langle should be at the top of a lot of different teams' jobs as a as a someone you got to go after. I mean, whether it's an Atlantic Ten program, uh, lower tier Big East program. I mean, I think he can really coach, and he coaches offense in a way where the players seem to love playing for him with a freedom of movement and a style that's very impressive. And just imagine his ability to recruit even more talent at a higher level program. He's already done a great job at a tough place to recruit in Hamilton, New York. Imagine what he could do elsewhere. So uh, absolutely a team, you know, that can win a game with the right matchup. So yeah, it, I would love to see him as the next Maryland Terrapins coach for that matter. But you know, in this, this Ooh, that's, final that's point, a bold state. That's a, that's a bold statement there. Uh, Mr. Schofield, like, like going like, you know, when they hired Steve Donahue away from Cornell to go to BC, I mean, that would seem to work out well, you know, making that sort of <laughs> jump. Um, but in, in all seriousness, this will make me fat, make me seem like a typical sour grapes, Maryland fan, but oof, you know, and, and this is where I want to get Chris and, and Mike's uh, perspective here. I thought the officiating was not good, <laughs> like not good at all. Now, no one's going to blame that loss just on the officials, but the foul differential in the first half was significant, very significant. I think it ended like 10-3. Um, it, there was a huge missed carrying call on Colgate during the latter stages of our big run that could have made the situation much more uncomfortable for them. I can't remember if it was before summer's missed uh, front end or after summer's missed front end, but the Navy bench, I've never seen Emmett Davis more apoplectic than he was about that missed call. So, so Chris and Mike, you know, from your perspective, how much did officiating actually play that final death knell you know, with addition to crowd noise and bad shooting and not getting the 50-50 balls? Well, from somebody that watched it on TV, um, I, I didn't really notice it as, as much as uh, certainly other people on Twitter did. And, um, you, you know, listening to you and others that were in the arena, um, you, you know, you guys picked up on it. Um, I, I never really felt like, save for that run, I never really felt like Navy was in the game. Um, so I, I, I guess I didn't pay much attention to sort of the atmospherics or others. It, it looked like from the moment the ball was tipped that they ran into a better team and were going to struggle uh, throughout the game. Uh, yeah, Chris, I tend to agree with what you're saying, and, and I'll just add a couple other points on the foul disparity. you got to think about how both of these pl- teams defend uh, and play. So what was very noticeable – watching on TV to me was Navy tends to run a more set dominated offense where there was a lot of congestion that I felt like in the game where they couldn't get free to be able to kind of get to the rim or get open looks. Colgate tends to spread you out and give more freedom of movement and make, and it's difficult to guard them sideline to sideline because they spread you out so much defensively. Colgate isn't overly athletic defensively compared to Navy, but they make you feel uncomfortable and hesitate. So, you know, it's not like Jack Ferguson's going to scare you with his athleticism, but when he plays off of you and you're tentative about whether to shoot the mid-range shot or take it to the rim, that hesitancy then makes you make an either take and miss a shot or make an incorrect play. I thought other than the carry call, which I was very, I was going nuts about that was not the correct call. Other than that, honestly, it, I think 
it's a game where a Navy plays a way, a style of play that in most games, referees tend to give them a little bit of freedom on plays where they are definitely more aggressive. They get hands on guys more so than other teams in the league. So I, I didn't see it as much as that. I also would say to you that offensively, we didn't do anything to give the referees a reason to call a foul, right? It's not like we attacked the rim and, you know, made it difficult on Colgate and, you know, to stop us at the, at the rim or in the paint as much. So I, I just saw a situation where Navy didn't play on both ends of the floor nearly as well. And sometimes their aggressiveness and defense had caught up with them with maybe for the first time all season following a little bit more than what they normally get called. Wags. Well, I was going to, you know, John and I had a nice discussion on the way back from Hamilton to Syracuse as John, the pressure, I was trying to keep the pressure off him as he drove through literally fog in which you could not see more than a half an inch in front of you. He was driving by feel. White knuckling it, baby. White knuckling it. But we were talking about the future. Um, you bring back a entire front court, Daniel Deaver, Tyler Nelson, and Jalen Walker. You lose your two key backcourt players in Greg Summers and John Carter. And they're just, they're so key in every aspect, defensively, offensively, intangibles. So leadership, experience. Um, it's going to be hard to replace Greg Summers and, and John Carter. And it, at the present, it doesn't appear that they have scoring threats in the backcourt. What you know, Austin Inge comes back, Sean Yoder comes back. You know, obviously, you would hope that some young players will develop. But what's your thought, Mike, as you look into the crystal ball at next season? I mean, do you think Navy can sustain this? I mean, they've had two great seasons top seed last year with Cam Davis being the leader, number two seed this season with Carter Summers and Richard and Joko as senior leaders. What about next year? What, what are you seeing? Yeah, I, I texted the coaching staff after the game, you know, and congratulated them on a great season, made a few points. And, and one of the things I told them is just from my perspective, I was like, when players get a taste of what that feels like in a championship setting, you want to you want to go back. And I liken it to my freshman year. We lost at Colgate in the Patriot League championship, 68-63, I believe the score was. That was Tucker Neal was a senior and Adonald Floyd was a freshman and I was a freshman and our team lost. And I'll always remember that somebody told me before you walk off the floor, remember what it smells like in that moment that you lost. Remember what it looks like. Remember what it feels like. You get all of those memories in your mind to propel you and motivate you to want to get back there again. So I think the benefit Navy has with all those guys coming back is they're going to have this as motivation in the off season to get better where they're, where they're going to miss the most. I, I think they're not going to miss Greg Summers as much as you may think, because I, I think that Tyler Nelson can play more like Greg when he's the primary guy. And I think Jalen Walker can do a lot of those same things where they're going to really, I feel like have to have somebody step up is in jump shooting. They, they don't, they haven't shown a lot of consistency from the mid range to three-point line area. And John Carter, particularly in the first two conference tournament games, he really stepped up his shooting and he made perimeter shots. So I think perimeter shooting is going to be a real key for this team 
next year. Max McDonald is a, is a kid who's a freshman that the staff is very high on, and I think he can come in and make some shots, but he's going to be a, basically a sophomore playing his first meaningful minutes of his career. But that's what's great about this game. Guys step up. I think Patrick Dorsey getting healthy, stronger, and ready to go could have a big senior year because he was hampered by a lot of injuries this year. I'd expect they'd be a top four team in the Patriot League, Bill. I, I, I would see them preseason top four. And I think what, what this shows you is just how important the regular season is in the Patriot League. When you have a team that can legitimately win a conference championship, being on your home floor for that championship game makes a huge difference. And, you know, you think about some of the losses Navy had during the regular season at home. They come back to haunt you. And, you know, you lose the Holy Cross at home. And you lose to, and you lose to Army and give up that big lead. You lose to Lehigh giving up that big lead. Those were one was home, one was on the road. You win those games, all of a sudden maybe you're tied for first with Colgate, and you get the tiebreaker. It, it home court advantage is huge in, in at this level because you're hosting the conference tournament game. But I think the future is bright, and uh, you know I hope that the entire coaching staff is back for continuity's sake because I think that. These guys have gotten, I think, build a, a, a certain way about them as a unit from coaching staff to player. There's a certain connection and bond that they now have of going through what they've gone through the last couple of years. And there's a power in that. So, you know, I think the future is bright. Like I said, it's just going to be interesting to see, you know, what guys step up and, and do things as players, you know, leave and, and, and move on. That's the nature of college basketball. There's always, somebody waiting in the wings that wants to, you know, prove to everybody that, you know, they can carry the mantle forward. Well, I think that's a perfect place to let it off. And, and Mike, you know, through the entire season, thank you so much for letting us be a part of the journey that, that you went through with Pete Medhurst and watching, evaluating, getting to know this team. We felt like we had a relationship with them as well. And that's what made last night so unique in, in the experience of it. You know, that not only have we covered it from a journalistic angle, but we've also become a part of this journey with them. You know, and you having gone through it since your playing days and now in your uh, commentating days, you know, your your perspective has always been spot on and we appreciate it. So thank you uh, from the bottom of our hearts. And much more importantly, as March 17th approaches and March Madness begins, who are your final four picks? Oh, wow, John, that's a tough one because we don't have the bracket yet, obviously. But, um, you know, just teams that seem to stand out. I would think, you know, Gonzaga would be a team that, you know, they've got the motivation, right, to kind of right the wrong of last year. And I'm sure that's a a team that looks pretty strong. I like Purdue a lot um, because I like how they can win – one of the things in the NCAA tournament as you pick your brackets, a little word of advice here, not that it's going to work every time, but teams that win the championship tend to be teams that can win different ways. So can they win a game in the 60s and can they win a game in the 80s or 90s? That would be a concern for maybe for Gonzaga. But Purdue I like a lot because they can win different ways. Um, the entire referee and college basketball world will probably give your favorite Duke Blue Devils every opportunity to get to the Final Four because it's Coach K's last year, in case anybody didn't know. They're a team that I, I'm not sure. I think the pressure of having them, having him be in his last season might be weighing on those younger kids a little bit. Um, I think on, Kansas there's a, there's and Kentucky. There's a big name out Kansas, there. You're missing it. Big name. There, well, Kansas and Kentucky, I would throw in there just because, again, they can win different ways. So if I had to pick it without seeing the brackets, I'd probably go, 
this is very chalky, obviously, but Kansas, Kentucky, Purdue, and uh, Gonzaga. But again, not seeing who the... It's a, it's a mini tournament within the tournament every weekend, right? You don't have to beat every single team. You just got to beat who you're opponent is in front of you so that would be good i would give you my upset special team not really an upset special but the team i like a lot that could make some noise is davidson um whether they win the a10 or not i think uh they'll pro they should probably get in and when they do they are like colgate on steroids uh in, in terms of playing kind of a similar way but with a lot more talent so those teams are dangerous uh, in today's world. Did I miss somebody that you are really keen on there, Mr. Schofield? No, I, I'm glad that you brought up the Silver Fox of Bob McKillop. Uh, you know, the biggest recruiting <laughs> mess of his career was Mike Curie, as everyone knows. But, you know, don't don't sleep on uh, the Villanova Wildcats. I'm just throwing it out there one more time. Or um, uh, that's right. the, Providence, uh, the Providence Friars, who, in all seriousness, if, it, if it's not the Colgate coach, Coming to uh, the University of Maryland, I think it's going to be Ed Cooley. Uh, but as always, Ooh. Mike, your your evaluation is spot on. I'll leave it to Wags to to take us out. Well, John, I asked you this question earlier today on our flight, and you said Baylor immediately. So you did not immediately think of your Villanova Wildcats. You said Baylor, the defending national champion, that it goes through them. You asked me who would win. Like, I still think Villanova goes to the Final Four. But, you know, I think Final Four is Gonzaga, Villanova, Baylor, and probably a one-off. Like that, like the year that George Mason won, went, or Loyola, Chicago, something of that nature. Chris, what is your final picks? I'm not there yet, man. I'm, I'm still, you know, I'm, I'm still focused on last night's uh, debacle. Um, I'll, I'll get right and, uh, you know, I'll, I'll be ready uh, before the first game. You just make sure that Max Homa wins the uh, players down there in Sawgrass for my golf pool. <laughs> Who did you pick in the golf pool, Harry? Uh, I went Chalky. I got Rory McIlroy. Oh, boy. All right. Well, and, hey, he's a, he, he, I was going to say, Rory McIlroy likes to do well in the, in, in, he's a mutter when it's, when it's, you know, wet courses he's won a lot of big tournaments and this is a big purse and it's going to be wet down there at potavidra beach hey i wanted to ask jimmy the greek cervello you you don't bet ncaa tournament games on that that's a, a recipe for disaster because ncaa tournament games are so often upsets i mean that's the nature of the tournament you don't you don't dabble in that i hope I, I do not. In fact, I've given up all college betting. I only bet weather here in Central Florida. So that's uh, that's my uh, that, that's my new vice. <sighs> all right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, as always, uh, thank you and thank you again to Mike Keery for his bas basketball expertise, and thank you again to the coaches, the staff, the players, everyone who supported Navy basketball. Uh, as they went through this amazing journey. As Mike said, I think the future will be bright, but this is our final public service announcement. It was really intoxicating to see the fans out there at Colgate. And Mike Heary told me on the phone earlier today, like, hey, you know, Cotterill Court isn't like that, you know, for the non-conference sked in like late November. Um, you know, so the electricity that you saw is unique. Um, but, you know, what I think needs to be said here is we need to think of some way and we're talking to the to, you know, the upper cusp of leadership at the Naval Academy. How do we figure out a way to make fan participation a bigger part of this equation? Because with that, I think we will have more experiences like Colgate had last night, which is hosting a tournament final, which is getting 
this town excited about something. For now, it's got to be Hamilton, New York. Next year, let's hope that it's Annapolis, Maryland. For Mike Heary, Bill Wagner, and Chris Cervello, we're going to go to break. When we come back, we're going to talk to the rifle team captain, uh, Ryan Zanti, about his uh, trip out to Colorado Springs for NCAAs. And then after that, we are going to talk women's basketball, women's lacrosse, and baseball before we take it out. This is Sing Second Sports. A special thank you to our sponsors at Red Red Wine Bar and Dry 85 on Main Street in Annapolis. Whether you're an Annapolis resident or if you're coming into town to watch sports or for a reunion or you just want to get back to Naptown as the weather gets nicer, my favorite is a Cabernet and a Cuban sandwich at Red Red Wine Bar or an Old Fashioned and a Dry 85 burger at Dry 85. You can't go wrong with either. Be sure to check out both establishments. And again, thank you to Brian and Lisa Bolter for all of their fantastic support. Now back to the pod. All right, guys. Awesome conversation with Mike Keery. Um, And again, thanks to him for all of his insight over the course of the year. For the 29th time in program history, the seventh-ranked Navy rifle team will compete in the NCAA championships. In fact, as this pod comes out on Friday, uh, they will be competing in the NCAA championships uh, scheduled to begin at 11 a.m. Among them is Michael Zanti. He's the captain of the Naval, Navy rifle team. And here's our interview with him. And we are really happy to be joined by the captain of the co-ed rifle team, Michael Zanti. He is a firstie from Norfolk, Virginia. Uh, little small story. His father, Guy Zanti, captain the Naval Academy wrestling team uh, as part of the class of 1982. And they wrestled in the fleet as part of the all-Navy wrestling team. His mother, Kathleen Murray, was a class of 84 grad of USNA and was also a cheerleader. So obviously, the physical mission was built upon him very early. They retired both as commanders. And somehow, wow, that's a surprise that you would end up at the Naval Academy. But not only, only have you ended up at the Naval Academy, Michael, you have achieved so much uh, participating in rifle. So number one, thank you so much for joining us. Number two, walk us through what's been a historical year for this team and what it's been like to captain them. Uh, it's, it's been a privilege. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's not particularly hard to like say, Hey, like I'm doing a great job when I literally have like the best lineup that I could possibly have asked for. Like, you know, uh, class of 22, 23 24 and 25 in the rifle team like they're like every single class is awesome and like it, it makes it easy and it makes me look way better way way better than i deserve just because all these guys are awesome so and they work really hard and they push everyone above them and below them to be better so for you individually competing both in small bore and air rifle all of your high scores have gone up um, from the time that you arrived at the Naval Academy in small bore from 2018 to 19, 581, uh, then going to 582 in 1920, 585 in 2021. Uh, same thing in air rifle. And now you've just competed, you know, very well at the GARCs and you're getting ready to leave tomorrow for the NCAAs. Walk us through how you did at the GARCs and how you personally have felt about your performance this year um yeah the the gark went great overall like uh, i'm always kind of looking at you know my past performance and saying hey i could have gotten a point there i could have gotten another point there and my coach will tell me hey like 
you, you know, you're doing well when like, you're, you're really nitpicky and like, you can pick out these like tiny little segments out of, you know, a four hour time period where this, like this block of five seconds, like you could have done something better and picked up some more points. Um, yeah, yeah. Gark, Gark was great. No real complaints there. Um, and then one of my teammates, uh, a freshman, Marley Duncan, who I've known since, gosh, I think my eighth grade year. So she was in fifth or sixth grade. Um, when I met her just cause we were, you know, we grew up kind of in the same area. Um, she was from North Carolina. I'm from Virginia and we just would see each other at matches and our families became friends and she won the small bore event like by a long shot. And that's also against uh, an Olympic gold medalist and Olympic silver medalist who were competing in the same competition. And she wiped the floor with everyone. It was, it was kind of amazing. Yeah, you did so well. You tied for third in air rifle uh, in the air rifle discipline with uh, 2374 points, along with recording a fourth place finish overall with 4707 for the entire weekend. You mentioned Marley Duncan. She was the top overall shooter for the mids and placed fifth in the overall individual standings. And then you've placed seventh with 1,183 points. And if that wasn't enough, at the conclusion of the championships, you know, you were named along with Mark Amdahl um, as all GARC recognized, uh, you know, participants, while Clarissa Leland was named the Navy's GARC Scholar Athlete of the Year selection. And that's to say nothing of head coach Mike Ante, who was selected as the coach of the year, marking his second such honor um, of his career. So from your perspective, and I'm going to ask you about NCAAs here in a minute, how proud are you of, of everything that's gone, that's gone on so far? Or are you just like hyper-focused on getting to NCAAs and achieving there? Uh, every match, yeah, you know, Coach, Coach Anty will tell us, hey, like, it's, it's just any other match. Like the target's the same. The scoring is the same, like everything is the same. Like you don't need to put any more pressure than any other regular match because it's just you and yourself. But um, it's, uh, it, it's a frustrating sport because you're just grinding, putting time in, you know, just like any other sports. You're putting all this time in during practice, trying different things and, you know, like taking time out of your day to do that. And then you see that all pay off. For like everyone on the team at like uh, Clarissa Leyland, she comes in and is on the line before almost anyone, like almost no one can get on the line before her. Like she just puts in the time, like Mark has dealt with countless issues, um, and, but he's succeeded and done like very well this year. Uh, holds one of our school records or tied one of our school records. It's held by myself, Mark and Marley. Um, and yeah, Stephanie uh, Milvane, who's also going to NCAAs, she uh, she came in as a decent shooter and then just worked her butt off and was hyper-focused, asked a ton of questions, like put in the work and the effort and had an amazing attitude, which I think was really the, the, the key for Stephanie. Like she has such a good attitude and it's just like stayed on the ball the whole year and earned herself a place on the team uh, for NCAAs as a freshman and the same thing with Marley and, you know, they're, they're just, I, it's, it's very satisfying for me to see like all the people on my team, like putting in the work and then getting stuff out of it. And it's not just the top five, it's the whole roster of 15, everyone from the managers to the starters, like everyone puts in work to make sure we can do what we do. And 
at the end of the day, it doesn't matter whose name is on the roster going. It's the end star, you know, on that list of the seven other teams going to NCAAs. Well, you just took the uh, question out of my mouth. The end star, you're one of almost all the teams this past year to have defeated Army and get the star. You know, we're just wondering when that yard arm out there by gate one is going to collapse under the weight of it. <laughs> but three out of four years, uh, Navy has defeated Army in the annual star match. And the 5,885-point overall score by the mids this year in kicking Army's butt was the highest aggregate score in the star match during the entire 60-60 era, which goes back to 06. Additionally, Navy set a new program best score in small board during that meet with Army with an NCAA four-count mark of 2,346 points. So in all, no matter what happens out in Colorado Springs, how satisfying was it to beat Army, particularly three out of your four years here? It, uh, it makes me pretty happy because my dad got, I think he got two end stars. So I was able to one up him just a little bit, uh, just for a little, you know, inner family rivalry. And, you know, maybe if I have a kid who'll go here, like he'll do a sport and he'll get fourth. <laughs> um, maybe the progression there is um, my dad's, his. You're already feel, aiming high. I like it, Michael. Oh, yeah. High. yeah. <laughs> my, uh, my dad's roommate was actually the rifle captain and my roommate is on the squash team. So maybe I'll have a kid who plays squash or something, but, uh, but yeah, it, it's very satisfying. Um, it's uh, that, that fourth star um, we had uh, two of our starters, which is pretty significant because for that match, it's, you know, five scores count. So our two of our top shooters were out that match with concussions. And I mean, like we should have still been able to, put everything together and beat them. But I'll still stand by that, that if we had uh, Mark and Gabby on the team that day, that we would have four stars, but you know, we got to give them one. We can't beat them up too badly. So. Well, on a personal level, it, it begs the question, how did you actually get into the sport? How, how did it come about that you, you know, were not only interested in this, but, um, good enough at it that you became a D1 athlete at Navy and captain in a team. I guess you can't see on, on a podcast, but I'm pretty short. Um, you know, I'm not a big guy. So like a lot of, you know, sports like basketball, baseball, sort of, um, but a lot of sports were kind of out of the question because my mom was like, Hey, I want to put my kid in something that he can take as far as he wanted to. And, that mostly that thought process came from my sister, actually, who's like 4'11", 5'0". Um, and she was a pretty competitive swimmer when she was little. And it got to a point where all these other girls she's competing against are a foot taller than her. And yeah, in swimming, that's like, that's like height is huge. So uh, my mom pulled my sister out of swimming and she was at a friend's retirement ceremony asking her how her kids were doing. And her friend was like, yeah, they're actually on a rifle team. And my mom thought, oh, that's, that's a good idea. That makes sense. So she looked into it, found a local club. Um, that's when my, my sister was nine and I was seven. Started going once a week to a local club. And that kind of snowballed. Um, actually won uh, nationals for my age group um, in 2009. And then 2010, my coach moved to Pennsylvania, 
my sister and I were too young to join the rifle team, but we were both very good. Got grandfathered in and uh, found a really awesome club nearby. So joined that one too. So we were part of two different clubs. Uh, my sister graduated, went to NC State. I came to Navy and, uh, you know, it's all going to come to a very abrupt end. And I'm not sure how I'm going to deal with that you know, on a Saturday afternoon here. Well, so when it does come to an abrupt end after Saturday, um, you know, what, what's next for you? What did you service assign? You know, what, what are you what are you trying to, to do? You know, once the dark ages are done, once spring break is done, once your competitive career is done. So I selected the uh, USS Gettysburg. It's a cruiser out of Norfolk. And uh, it was my first pick. Uh, I, my family has since moved out of Norfolk and gone to Jacksonville, but I still have um, a lot of people in the area that I know. And you know, I, I thought it'd be a good place to, to start my career. And I had this long list of 13 ships that I talked to my my swell mentor about, and he looked up ship schedules and everything and said, hey, this is the strike group you want to go to. This is the ship. Like, I met the, the CO uh, earlier this year of the Gettysburg, and I was like, that's where I want to go. And uh, I, but I was like, there's no way it's still going to be on the board when I get up there. I get up there, and I was picked like 145. I was basically dead in the middle, and like barely anyone had touched Norfolk. And I was like, okay, I guess I'm going to the Gettysburg. And one of my best friends wanted the same ship and it's getting down there and there's one slot left when he gets up there and he grabs it. So I'm, yeah, I'm going to Norfolk with my best friend on, uh, on my first choice ship. So I'm super right. pumped. Well, back when Lieutenant Schofield ran ship selection night in 0203, cruisers out of Norfolk were not in high demand. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. So let's just let's just reacquaint yourself. It was usually amphibs out of San Diego, uh, but we we wish you all the best uh, going forward as a SWO. We wish you the very best of spring breaks, and then as you emerge from the dark ages, hopefully, you know after losing so much of your career to COVID, hopefully you can get some normalcy the last couple of months of your uh, of your first year, so you can get a full commissioning week and everything the pageantry of of that. Um, that, that you deserve because you've lost so much due to COVID. I'll give you the last word. What should we expect Ryan Sargent to write about you when he writes the press release after NCAAs this weekend? Oh, gosh. <laughs> I'm trying not to think that far ahead. Um, as long as the team overall has a successful performance and you know we can showcase our team, our skill, and our potential to further recruit so we can you – know, keep Navy rifle as a, a top performing school. And, you know, I don't want this year to be our best performing year ever and have that stay in the books. I want this year to get squashed in the next, you know, five to 10 years with more classes coming in and Navy rifle get gaining some more prestige and you know, being recognizable with names like WVU, Alaska and UK who have been powerhouses in the, the community forever. So. Perfectly said ship shipmate self. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Rifle Team Captain Michael Zanti um, going off to Colorado Springs right before spring break to compete in the NCAAs. Let's wish him luck. When we come back, we'll take this baby out. This is Sing Second Sports. A special thank you to our friends at the Naptown Scoop. Hey, if you're an Annapolis resident or somebody that lives outside of Annapolis but gets back to town like me, 
you definitely want to sign up for the Naptown Scoop. There is not a better place online to find out the latest in local politics, sports, weather, restaurant openings, what acts will be playing at what bars over the weekend. Go to naptownscoop.com, click on the subscribe button, and start getting in the know. That's naptownscoop.com, click on subscribe. Now back to the pod. All right, awesome conversation with McShipman Zanti. We wish him luck. Hopefully he comes home with some hardware from Colorado Springs and does not get in, does not get infected with any of that Air Force Academy blah. Um, let's move on before we go out and recap some other things that happened. Uh, the Navy women's basketball team fell on the road in the Patriot League semifinals to Bucknell on Wednesday night by a score of 64 to 44. This was on the heels of Jen Coleman's amazing three-pointer at the buzzer that beat top-seeded Holy Cross in the quarterfinal, an event which stirred thoughts of a miracle run to the NCAAs and was featured on SportsCenter in late night with Scott Van Pelt, but it was not to be. Jen Coleman, however, completed her standout career with a stellar senior season and her 23rd game with 20 or more points, she finished with 27, playing 40 minutes the entire time. And Wags, before I send it over to you, that's kind of the theme of the season. Uh, she was an all-Patriot League first-team performer. She grabbed eight rebounds on this night, three steals, had two assists. In the end, Lindsay Llewellyn was the second-highest scorer with just five points. And that should tell you all you need to know about how Navy lost this game. Coleman's 689 points this year blew away the previous single season mark but of 530 set by someone named Courtney Davidson. Her name isn't hanging in the rafters or anything. She, she averaged 22.2 points per game. That's the most ever by a mid. Only four players in program history have ever eclipsed the 20-point plateau in a single season. I talked to Chet after the Holy Cross game which he was super jazzed about after the game-winning shot, and we debated whether Jen Coleman's name hangs from the Raptors eventually. Personally, I think it does. Wags, over to you. Do you think so? And, and you know, how did this game kind of show you exactly what the failures were of the entire season of this team? Well, you know, that's an interesting question. I had not thought about Jen Coleman having her jersey hung from the Raptors, but uh, I think there's a compelling case for that. It's really a shame that COVID stole a lot of two seasons from her because her, and she also, her sophomore year, she, uh, she was out academically ineligible for a while. So she did not play all of the amount of games that she could have. Had she done so, she would have put up career records. Unfortunately, she did not. But yeah, that's uh, the, based off her senior season alone, I think you can make a compelling case. And as a freshman, she was a all Patriot League rookie team player. So, yeah, um, what she did this season's uh, remarkable. I, I don't think there would be a player anytime soon who will surpass her point total for the season. She also set the program's single season record for rebounds, John, uh, 333 rebounds. Uh, but yes, what you just described is what we've seen far too often out of Navy women's basketball this season. Jen Coleman goes for a big number and no one else breaks double digits. You, you have, to, most teams need three players in double figures to win a game. Three. Navy very rarely had two and almost never had three. It was a miracle whenever they could have three players reach double digits. 
Um, so Tim Taylor's got to correct this. And we've talked about this on the pod before. He's very excited about the recruits he's bringing in. He's bringing in some size. He's talked about a six foot one point guard who's very talented and dynamic. And they are going to need those freshmen to perform because losing Jen Coleman as it stands right now. And of course, some of the current players are going to improve, but as it stands right now, Navy does not have much production returning, John. Yeah, and it was just a difficult season. This game was emblematic um, of what the struggles were of not having extra help, of falling behind early. In fact, the men's game and the women's game taking place on you know consecutive nights were mirroring each other and exposing a lot of the frailties. They both found themselves down huge at halftime. They tried to chip away at those uh, deficits. The men's team had a better time of it than the women's team. The women's team eventually was out of it very early in the third quarter. But we wish Jen Coleman and the rest of the seniors the very best. And we thank Tim Taylor and the staff and all the fans for supporting them all year long. Let's see what happens next year. Let's move on to lacrosse. The number 25 Navy women's lacrosse team used a golden goal from sophomore Lindsey Beardmore to post a 13-12 overtime victory over number 16 Hopkins on Thursday night at Navy Marine Corps Stadium. Wags and I were there, having successfully traveled back from Colgate. The Mids trailed early, down 4-0, but they relied on solid defense. They kept the game close. They kept chipping away. Wags and I were talking about it. They'd get like a goal down, then Hopkins would score again. They'd get like a goal down, Hopkins would score again. Then they tied it, and it almost seemed to open the floodgates. They were able to go ahead. They gave that lead up very late. It went into OT, and then Lindsey Beardmore fired one home with only one second left on the shot clock. Um, and, and there you go. There, there's a great win and a second win in a row of a ranked opponent. The Mids had five players notch multiple goals. Roloffs and Denton had Hatties. Beardmore, Dietzel, and Evie had two goals apiece. Roloffs had 10 draw controls, which was really big. That moved her into second place all time in the Navy record books for draw controls. Now she just trails someone named Lauren Janeri, who finished with 493. So I don't think Reagan's going to catch her, but still an amazing career thus far. And she'll add to that number. Wags. It was a great way to recover from the men's basketball loss. We got to see Hopkins AD and former Navy uh, women's lack standout Jen Baker. Uh, and we're going to bring her on next week to break down this game, uh, but also preview the men's game uh, at Homewood Friday night. What were your thoughts as you know you filed your story? It was a great story. You know, really nice, really nice thing about the uh, the local standout, Lindsey Beardmore, you know, being the uh, agent of change and securing the win. Yeah, it was really exciting, John. We enjoyed that, you and I. Uh, I mean, obviously, Navy was fighting uphill the whole way. And as you mentioned, they kept getting within one goal. And Hopkins, to their credit, always responded with the next goal to go back up to. Um, I was interviewing Lindsey Beermore down on the field. I know her parents, and they were down there watching me. They were so excited to see their daughter getting interviewed by someone you know, they've been friends with for a long time. And Lindsey was so excited. She said she'd never scored a game-winning goal before in her career at any level. Um, so really, really cool for her. And if you remember, John, she had a free position shot earlier, but it was not as good an angle. It was from the side. But remember, she whipped it a little just wide. Yeah, high and wide. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, and I asked her about that, and she said, yeah, you know. And Cindy Timshaw, with all her wisdom, says, 
you can't score goals if you don't shoot on net. And that's very, very wise. You're not going to score a goal when you shoot it high or wide or, or whatever. Um, but yeah, Lindsay did a great job uh, with the game winner. And, um, you know, the big, uh, speaking of Cindy Timshaw, how about the move to replace the goalie? Joe Torres was struggling. She couldn't make any saves. She was giving up goals. And uh, Cindy brought on a freshman, Emma Richardell, and she was good. And, John, you were remarking, what did, what did you like about her? In addition to making six saves, what did you like about her? Oh, she had the Jack Schofield outlet passes down pat. I'll tell you That's what. Right. And it almost seemed like at the beginning she was so excited that she made a save that she just wanted to get the ball out yeah. of there. But it wasn't like there was only one reckless pass that she had on the outlets. A bunch of them right. that even did like side stick were really athletic and, and set the tone for the offense to counter. So I, I don't know if that'll be a permanent change, but I myself, I was really impressed with her performance. Yeah, well, it's nice to know the Navy has two goalies because Torres had played really well in the two previous games. She had 26 saves in the two previous games. I imagine she'll be back in the goal, but it's nice to know that uh, freshman Emma is a really good player and, a, you know, got talent. But a great win for Navy women's lacrosse. They had just entered the rankings, John, at number 25, and they validated that recognition by upsetting Hopkins, who ranked 16th. And Hopkins is very good. That's a good team. Uh, that You know, back-to-back wins over ranked opponents, John Drexel and Hopkins. And uh, should make note, Janine Tucker has been at Hopkins a long time. She is one of the all-time great coaches in collegiate women's lacrosse and she had announced in August that this would be her last season so Cindy Timshaw was saying this was really sentimental for her she's known Janine Tucker a long time this will be the last time that she ever coaches against Janine Tucker unless of course they meet in the NCAA tournament but uh Janine Tucker to her credit all credit to Navy she wasn't didn't feel her team played poorly Hopkins did their best it just Navy pulled it out at the end you got to give Navy credit a lot of grit and determination, John. Yeah, I loved watching it. And it was, you know, great to, you know, I, I love stories about local stands at standouts, including Lindsay Beermore. Uh, shout out to her dad, Bruce Beardmore, um, and Ed Bilderback, friends of the pod, friends with each other, but friends of the pod. Uh, you know, Ed Bilderback, I know that Lindsay's prowess out there is due to your influence and not her fabulous bloodline. So uh, good job there. Um, finally, due to heavy rains in Annapolis, the Navy baseball team had to postpone its Wednesday afternoon matchup against the Mount to Thursday, and folks delaying it was no good, because last night the mids pitching staff went full first game nuclelouche as they suffered a 15-4 loss to a 1-7 Mount team at the time at home. The mids pitching staff surrendered 12 walks, 12, and hit four batters said coach Paul Costacopoulos when you walk 12 guys and hit four you aren't playing baseball and then right after that he told one of the pitchers that the rose goes in front Romeo so the mids had changes their weekend slate as well against Marist and Delaware State because of horrible weather coming in on Saturday they will now play a doubleheader today on Friday at Max Bishop Stadium against Marist and then they play Delaware State at 3 30 p.m on Sunday Come out to Max Bishop and support Costi's guys. Just don't stand next to the bull uh, when the pitching staff is out there. Finally, other action this weekend includes men's and women's tennis taking on Temple. Shout out to future Temple student Colin Schofield. 
gymnastics is at William and Mary, sailing is in action, and men's lacrosse host Colgate Sunday at noon. And as long as Colgate doesn't have Jack Ferguson at short stick midi and Jeff Woodward between the pipes, I think we might be in a good spot to win and notch our first Patriot League victory of the season and exact a little bit of revenge on Colgate for what they did to our men's basketball team. Come out and see the men's lacrosse team at noon at Navy Marine Corps Stadium. That, folks, is it. Again, shout out to men's and women's basketball for great seasons. Good luck to men's and women's lacrosse and all of the other sports as they take on their competition over the weekend. For Chris and Ward and Wags, I am John. Thank you again to our sponsors, Naptown Scoop, Academy Consulting, Red Red Wine Bar and Dry D5, and for all the support that NAAA shows us. We will see you next week. Good luck on spring break, midshipmen. Have fun. Don't do anything that Chris Cervello and I wouldn't do. That's Sing Second Sports. We're out. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this pod are our own and don't represent the views of the Naval Academy Athletic Association, the United States Naval Academy, or any organization for that matter. Play-by-play calls from the Navy Radio Network are used in the opening of the show and from time to time will be part of podcast segments.